Investment in your own protection, they be like black. Well, who knew we'd be receiving a new you? This Paul Zulu and Farrakhan, new Farrakhufu. It's the praying mantis, deep like the mind of Farrakhan. A motherfucking hey. rap phenomenon. Plus, the pyramids are stand on the top of the sand in the heat of the moment. Like Farrakhan said, we need atonement. The follow-up Farrakhan, he'll tell me that you understand. Until you hear the man, I'm about the fair kind. Life is a marathon. I'ma shit the paradigm. I'ma turn up every time. Yes, my word is born. Speaking out knowledge like Farrakhan. Cause this brother like me said, well, Farrakhan's a prophet, and I think you wanna listen to. Thank you. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, my dear um, visitors and friends, and those of you in our television audience. The United States of America, one of the greatest nations in the last 6,000 years, is in grave trouble, not because of the power of a foreign government, but because of an internal rot and decadence that could very well sentence this nation to the ignominy that many of her sister nations have gone to before her. America is in the path of Sodom and Gomorrah, ancient Egypt, Babylon, and Rome. And at the core of this internal problem of America is the unwanted presence of nearly 30 to 40 million black people who didn't come on the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, or the Mayflower, but who came in the holes of ships. And from the day that our fathers set the soles of their feet in the Western Hemisphere, our cry has been for justice, and our cry is for justice today. I am not before you to anger you, to upset you. I am before you as an instrument, I hope, of peace, and I hope of reason. As a student of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, I want you to know that I'm not an enemy of America, nor am I an enemy of Jews or white people, and certainly I'm not an enemy of black people. But I hope you will understand before this is over that I am pro-truth, pro-justice, and I hope for the liberation of our people and the salvation of this nation. Thank you very much. James Baldwin, who, if you're a fan of this show, you know he's my favorite author and one of my favorite Americans, once said, All of the Western nations have been caught in a lie, the lie of their pretended humanism. This means that their history has no moral justification and that the West has no moral authority. He said this to point out that given the West's relationship with the darker-skinned people of the world, a relationship defined by slavery and colonialism, the West had no moral authority to condemn the bitterness that remained in black communities and the leaders that that rightful bitterness created. At the top of this episode, you heard references to Louis Farrakhan by some of the greatest rappers to ever live. Within the black community, there are many of us that love Farrakhan. 
there are also members of the black community and other communities who see him as an anti-Semite and a bigot. But those who love Farrakhan love his willingness to speak honestly and bluntly about the condition of black people in America. You see, Farrakhan is a minister, and the majority of his speeches are in mosques owned by the Nation of Islam, the group he's the leader of. In his speeches, Farrakhan is known to say things like this. Why should our people have to subsist on charity or live in poor houses when we built the country for you, fought, bled, and died to maintain the country for you? You ask us to pay taxes like everybody else. Wait a minute. We don't get justice. We give you our tax dollar to support a police department that doesn't respect us. We give you our tax dollar to support education that does not educate us properly. We give you our tax dollars. You spend $4 billion each year on Israel to maintain Israel in a welfare position. You send billions of dollars. You rebuilt Germany. You rebuilt Japan. Here we are, fought, bled, and died, made you what you are. What are you willing to come on down with to help the black man rebuild himself? Or if you have already heard of Farrakhan, you may have heard this exchange with Mike Wallace, where Mike Wallace tries to condemn Nigeria as a corrupt nation and Farrakhan just wouldn't have it. This is one of the more popular videos of Farrakhan, so if you've only kind of heard of him before, this could have been the video. Farrakhan, you go to Nigeria, which is, if not the most corrupt nation in Africa, and it is, it could be the most corrupt nation in the world, Minister Farrakhan. Oh, and now, Mr. Wallace. It is the most corrupt nation that I have ever covered. I've been there. 25 years ago, and I've been there as recently as last year. Fine. So what? 35 years old. That's what that nation is. Now, here's America, 226 years old. You love democracy, but there in Africa, you're trying to force these people into a system of government that you just have accepted 30 years ago, black folk got the right to vote. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet and let those of us who know our people go there and help them get out of that condition. But America should keep her mouth shut wherever there's a corrupt regime, as much hell as America has raised on the earth. No, I will not allow America or you, Mr. Wallace, to condemn them as the most corrupt nation on earth when you have spilled the blood of human beings has has nigeria dropped an atomic bomb and killed people in in hiroshima and nagasaki have they killed off millions of native americans how dare you put yourself in that position as a moral judge i think you should keep quiet because with that much blood on america's hands you have no right to speak i will speak because i don't have that blood on my hand Yes, there's corruption there. Yes, there's mismanagement of resources. Yes, there is abuse. There's abuse in every nation on earth, including this one. So let's not play holy to moralize on them. Let's help them. I'm not moralizing. I'm asking a question, and I got an answer. Why would you put it as the most corrupt regime in the world? That doesn't make sense. Can you think of one more corrupt? Yeah, I'm living in one. I'm living in one. But some have referred to Louis Farrakhan as a black Hitler, a man consumed with hate. In 1994, Farrakhan graced the cover of Time magazine and the headline read in huge letters, Ministry of Rage, and under it, a quote that read, Louis Farrakhan spews racist venom at Jews in all of white America. Why do so many blacks say he speaks for them? Unquote. My name is Baudelaire, and today on The Soapbox, we're going to answer just that. 
What is it that Farrakhan brings to the table that's so special? And why is white America unable to hear Farrakhan's message? Now, the racist tag is laughable because Farrakhan has no power over white America, so it's impossible for him to be racist. But the anti-Semitic tag is something I want to get into later. Louis Farrakhan began his career as a student of Malcolm X in 1955. In a BET documentary, Farrakhan explains what it was like the first time he saw Malcolm speak. Right kind of impact. I visited the mosque in New York. And Brother Malcolm was uh, speaking. And I had never heard any black man talk like this man talked. And after he started teaching, I was convinced that I was going to be a Muslim. So after hearing Malcolm speak, Farrakhan became a Muslim and joined the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam is a religious group composed mainly of African Americans. The Nation of Islam is known for its teachings combining elements of traditional Islam with black nationalist ideas. The Nation also promotes racial unity and self-help and maintains a strict code of discipline among members. Though a student of Malcolm's, Farrakhan's allegiance and the allegiance of all members in the Nation of Islam was to the man they refer to as the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. If you remember in Malcolm's early speeches, he began some of his statements with, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us so-and-so. Members of the Nation of Islam constantly refer to Elijah Muhammad's teachings and nowadays do the same with the teachings of Farrakhan. Farrakhan is referred to today as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Farrakhan became the leader of the Nation of Islam in 1978 after he rebuilt the nation after the death of Elijah Muhammad. After Elijah Muhammad died, his son, Wallace Muhammad, inherited control of the Nation of Islam and eventually dissolved the nation and joined the larger Muslim community. A lot of the followers of Elijah weren't happy about this shift as Wallace had, even before he completely dissolved the nation, shed it of its original racial and nationalist doctrines. So Farrakhan rebuilt the nation in its original image, and he began when it came to recruiting where the nation had the most success, in the inner cities and prisons of America. Farrakhan then and now remains committed to the black people in prisons all across this country. The nation of Islam has a strong presence within the prison system with thousands of incarcerated men and women all across the country being members of the Nation of Islam. Malcolm X, after all, was a prisoner before he was released and joined the nation in the outside world. Farrakhan himself admits he was once a criminal, though he never actually spent time in prison. But as Farrakhan spoke across the nation in the decades since he gained control of the nation, he made it a point to speak at prisons whenever possible. This clip you're about to hear is from his visit to inmates at Stateville Correctional Center in Illinois. Now the point I'm making, wait a minute, the point I'm making is there has got to be genuine reform here. But not here at the top people that understand that every human being can be redeemed. There's no such thing as a human being that can't come back from the bottomless pit of hell. How do you know, Farrakhan? Because every day we bring them back from wherever they were and they're not now what they once were. I'm not now what I once were. These brothers are not now what we once were. We don't come here to look down on you because we did what you're doing. We did what you're in jail for. And many of us came through jail to get where we are, but we never intend to go back to that kind of life 
again. The Nation of Islam has a long history of successfully getting black men and women off of drugs. This excerpt I'm about to read is from a New York Times article in 1964. Quote, Milton L. Martin, a psychiatric social worker in the mental hygiene department of Harlem Hospital, admitted yesterday that he and his colleagues had been so amazed at the number of Muslims that they encountered in the streets of Harlem who had been addicts until they decided to seek the assistance of the movement. The therapy said to have been developed by Mr. Muhammad had two psychological elements in common with Alcoholics Anonymous. These are group therapy, through which the afflicted draw strength from the group, and the transference of a new motivation to the patient to fill the void left by addiction. The basic assumption of the black Muslim therapist is that narcotics addiction and alcoholism occur in Negro communities because the Negroes, unable to cope with the white man's world, which they don't understand and where they've been taught to regard themselves as inferior, try to escape through addiction. The black Muslim therapist, therefore, began to work on the hypothesis that the best way to deal with a Negro addict would be to create a new identity for him, an identity that would give him a conscious understanding and pride in his negritude. This meant, the black Muslim said, creating a black psyche consisting of pride in race, black accomplishments, and identification with the past of the Negro people in Africa. The therapist contended that the transference of a new black identity to the afflicted has resulted in frequent, almost instantaneous breaks with alcohol and narcotics, unquote. In an interview from 1972, Farcon himself explains the success of the Nation of Islam's drug program. And so it is with the junkie. He's deprived of the reality of the expression of his greatness, so he retreats into the world of unreality. Oh, but the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gives us a teaching that gives the black man the love of black self. When he teaches us that we are the original man, meaning the first man, the father of all human beings, gods, and the descendants of the divine creator, while we begin to brace ourselves up, throw our shoulders back and we feel too dignified to reach down for a cigarette to reach down for alcohol to reach down for a drug because we're flying up now with the most high God but high but high in wisdom high in understanding high in power high in the ability to do so the honorable so the Honorable Elijah Muhammad creates a society that gives us pleasure. We get pleasure from each other's company because we love each other. As the Bible said, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So when we have this union of the brotherhood, it makes us uh, feel good. But it's real. I can reach out and touch my brother. I don't have to dream about brotherhood. It's real. Then Muhammad says, come on in and let's go to work and build something for black self. So now the junkie is able to express himself in his own school, in his own environment. Now when he sees our planes landing on our runway, he sees thousands of acres of our own farmland. He's driving tractors on his own land, building skyscrapers out of his own mind. And he says, I don't have to use junk anymore. I don't have to beat a tambourine anymore. I don't have to use wine anymore. I don't have to lay down at the foot of the white man anymore. I can stand up like a man and look all men in the eye and bear witness that at last, 
I am a free man, free from drugs in the world of reality. That's Muhammad's drug program. Farrakhan published Elijah Muhammad's books, started a new newspaper, The Final Call, and eventually purchased Elijah Muhammad's former mosque in Chicago and refurbished it as the new headquarters of the Nation of Islam. He also expanded the movement internationally, opening centers in England and Ghana. He gained notice outside the African-American community in 1984 when he aligned himself with the U.S. presidential campaign of Jesse Jackson. This is the point where the Farrakhan story becomes a bit more modern. Farrakhan joined the Jackson campaign to help get the millions of blacks who were not registered to vote registered. Farrakhan himself, who stayed away from politics as his teacher Elijah Muhammad instructed, would also register to vote and backed his friend Jesse Jackson. But as politics go in this country, political enemies of Jackson began digging dirt on Farrakhan. It was at this point that Farrakhan began being accused of playing a part in Malcolm X's murder. And it was also at this point that he would begin being called an anti-Semite after clips surfaced of Farrakhan making disparaging remarks about the state of Israel. And now I want to get into this. With respect to our Jewish brothers and sisters, I want to first allow you to hear from Rabbi Abraham Cooper, who went on Nick Cannon's platform, Cannon's Class, to educate Nick on anti-Semitism. In the episode, Rabbi Abraham constantly refers back to Farrakhan as a modern picture of anti-Semitism. Now, I understand exactly that for many people in the black community, when they hear Farrakhan, they think of the Million Man March. Indeed. They think about black empowerment. Leadership. They think about leadership. They think about one of the greatest orators in America, which is true. Very true. What we think about uh, Farrakhan is a person who has invested a lot of his energies in the hatred of the Jewish people, who's insulted us, said Hitler's a great man, I practice a gutter religion, uh, in some ways really in inexplicable. With respect to Rabbi Abraham Cooper, I do feel that it's irresponsible to not apply the context of the gutter religion comment. On its face, it sounds wicked. But what he actually meant by that comment is a little more complicated. He explained that statement on the Donahue show in 1990. I want to say that no sane, intelligent, religious person could ever condemn the revealed word of God from the source of purity as dirty or gutter or unclean. The word of God comes to people in the gutter to purify their actions and their conduct and cause them to live upright. But religion is not what we preach. Religion was and is what we practice. And that's why Moses told Israel, obey the law and statutes and commandments that I give you this day. Jesus said, be ye doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And Muhammad taught that mere belief counts for nothing except that it is carried into practice. I close this and I hope I never have to answer this again. Black people are in this country because so-called Christians not practicing the true word of Jesus Christ right. were practicing a dirty religion. Right. Some so-called Muslims were involved in the slave trade and in some wicked dealings in Africa, not doing what the prophet said, but practicing dirty religion. So Muslim and I said, sir, that Israel practiced dirty religion 
taken the land from the Palestinians using lying, thieving, and murderer, and the name of God as a shield for their dirty practice in the name of God. Uh. And this is a travesty in religion. And now to the statement that Hitler was a great man. Farrakhan explains this also on The Donahue Show, but I'll explain that he meant great by the true definition of the word great, which is consequential. Hitler was no friend of black people, and if he had it his way, he would have done to black people the exact same thing he had done to millions of Jews. So why would Farrakhan actually admire the man? What I did notice when I did the research for this part, though, is an American icon, John F. Kennedy, agreed with Farrakhan's assessment of Hitler. Already a scholar on global politics, Kennedy seemed fascinated with Hitler and his place in history, writing, He had in him the stuff of which legends are made, and... Within a few years, Hitler will emerge from the hatred that surrounds him now as one of the most significant figures who ever lived. Bobby Livingston works for the auction house offering the diary. There's no glorification, and I wouldn't take this out of context. I think Kennedy was a historian, and he's writing his understanding of Hitler's place in, in history. Why is it that the same understanding of context uh, not be applied to Farrakhan as it was to Kennedy? But there will be those that say Farrakhan is still wrong because he could have used different wording. Farrakhan agrees to this and explains his words in an interview with CNN anchor Don Lemon. Do you ever think, though, you know what, I, I could have said that a different way. Maybe I didn't say that in a way that people would understand it. Or could yes, it. yes, of course. I could have said it in a much better way. But when you, I came to national and international public attention, I was in a battle. People were calling me the new black Hitler. I have never pulled or plucked one hair from the eyebrow of a Jewish person. I trade with Jewish stores right now. I, if I can't find something that is halal, I go to the kosher store to buy the food. So please, if I were anti-Semitic, if I hated the Jewish people, I would organize uh, uh, boycotts against their businesses. Y you wouldn't see a Muslim s putting a swastika on a Jewish synagogue because our Quran forbids us and even advises us if we see someone doing that to a church or a synagogue or a cloister that we should stop them from doing such. Rabbi Abraham Cooper has said that Farrakhan is someone who's invested a lot of his energies into the hatred of Jewish people. As you heard in the Donahue clip, Farrakhan's words are more targeted towards the Israeli state than any individual Jewish person. And the Israeli state has committed some atrocities that we should be able to call out without being called anti-Semitic. There are instances like this one, where Jewish history and the status of Jewish people as an oppressed people is used to sidestep the idea that Israel itself could play the part of oppressor. The protests against the occupation of Palestine and calling out the apartheid that our Palestinian brothers and sisters are dealing with should not be seen as anti-Jewish. It should be noted that these protests are often attended by Jews that are themselves against the oppression of Palestinian people historically by the Israeli government and especially by Israel's current bigoted leader, Benjamin Netanyahu. Also, a little over a year ago, a new nation-state law was passed in Israel that said, in the land of Israel, only Jews have the right of self-determination. Netanyahu said, relating to that law, quote, Israel is the national state not of all its citizens, but only of the Jewish people, end quote. Meanwhile, a quarter of the Israeli population are Palestinian. 
If we are to be people who feel we would have stood against segregation and Jim Crow in this country and apartheid in South Africa, then we must also condemn the treatment of Palestinian people today by the Israeli government. In the past few years, there have been as many United Nations resolutions condemning Israeli policy as the rest of the world combined. And the Palestinians have built a liberation movement that relies on a large Palestinian diaspora around the world that have done an amazing job keeping their people struggle on the minds of everyday people. But I want to get back to Farrakhan and the accusations against him while he was with the Jackson campaign. The second largest accusation levied against him was that he was in some way involved with the death of Malcolm X. Farrakhan himself believes this accusation that was in no way made at the time of Malcolm's death served as a tool of the media to deter young black people from listening to Farrakhan. Farrakhan felt the media weaponized Malcolm, who himself was called an anti-Semite, by the way, against his former student. Many feel that the death of Malcolm X was at the hands of members of the Nation of Islam, but the story is much more complicated than that, as we now know that Malcolm's closest bodyguard was a man by the name of Gene Roberts, who did an interview with Dan Rather in the 90s, where he talked about his relationship with Malcolm. You were an undercover agent for the police. He didn't know then. No, he didn't. And you got in close, very close. He trusted you. I would say yes. Gene Roberts got so close that he became Malcolm X's bodyguard, even though he was really an undercover cop in the New York City Police Department. Your job was to gather intelligence, to gather information. Yes. And the Bureau's mission was to keep tabs on potentially violent people? Yes. Why was Malcolm X considered a potentially violent, if not in fact violent, person? Well, I guess at that point in time, uh, society wasn't ready for Malcolm X. Uh, he was saying a lot of things that um, society didn't want to hear at that point in time. But I don't want to move on and not acknowledge the existence of anti-Semitism. But if America hated all anti-Semites and racists as much as they hated Louis Farrakhan, then this country would have to really reevaluate its own heroes, and that includes the Founding Fathers. Many of those men actually brought harm to the people they hated, subjugated the people they hated, and enslaved them. Those men are the same people now children all across this country are learning are noble men. Some black people may hear Farrakhan's remarks on Israel and ask, what's the point of that anyway? What is he even, why is he even talking about Israel so much? But Farrakhan's commitment to speaking against the Israeli state's oppression of Palestinian people comes from his Muslim solidarity in the area, but also we must see that black people aligning with Palestinians isn't anything new, as Mark Lamont Hill discussed in an interview with The Root. Huey P. Newton and the Black Panthers believed in the struggle of the Palestinian people and showed solidarity. So you got from Malcolm, SNCC, the Panthers, Angela Davis, June Jordan, a black person standing with Palestine ain't new. There are people in the United States who say, look, black folk are catching enough hell here. We should put our 100% attention on that. And I ain't mad at people that say that. I don't agree, but I understand the impulse to say, look, cops are shooting us, the economy is collapsing, schools are broken. How can I think about someone in Palestine? We should care about the Palestinian freedom struggle first because they're human beings. And as African people, we don't have the luxury of choosing who we're gonna be allied with. We have to side with all principled, humanistic, freedom struggles. I don't care where they are. We can't get free unless everybody's free. That's not just some lefty cliche. That's a fact. The networks of power, the structures of power that oppress people in one country are connected to the structures that oppress people in this country. So for black folk to get free, everybody needs to be free. It was also Gene Roberts who convinced Malcolm to not have a weapons check at the door the day he was assassinated at the Audubon Ballroom. 
But it wasn't only Gene Roberts who's a shady character in the story of Malcolm X's death. Of the three men arrested for the murder, only Thomas Hagen admitted to the actual crime. Hagen also said that the other men that were arrested with him, NOI members Thomas 15X Johnson and Norman 3X Butler, that they weren't even at the Audubon Ballroom that day. It's also important to mention that Thomas Hagen wasn't a member of the Nation of Islam. But the nation doesn't get off free when it comes to the assassination of Malcolm X. Though they may have not pulled the trigger, tensions were high enough that though Elijah Muhammad told his followers to leave Malcolm alone, the hatred for Malcolm was so strong that Malcolm believed it was very possible that a member of the NOI could one day kill him. Louis X, who after Malcolm's expulsion became the Nation of Islam's national spokesperson, said in the NOI's newspaper at the time, Muhammad speaks, two months before Malcolm's murder, quote, The die is set and Malcolm shall not escape, especially after such foolish talk about his benefactor, Elijah Muhammad, and trying to rob him of the divine glory which Allah has bestowed upon him. Such a man as Malcolm is worthy of death, end quote. Louis X, who was given the name Farrakhan by Elijah Muhammad in the 70s, was asked directly by Barbara Walters in a 1994 interview if he was involved in Malcolm's murder. No, I was not in any way involved in his murder. I did say those words or write those words, but that's not the full statement. I said such a man as Malcolm is worthy of death. And were it not for Elijah Muhammad's faith in God, it would have been so. Elijah Muhammad told all of us as his followers to leave Malcolm alone and leave Malcolm to Allah. I was in Newark at that time, the time of his assassination. It was my turn to be rotated into Newark to handle the preaching or the teaching that day. And that is my reason for being in Newark. Betty Shabazz never said that Farrakhan was a plotter in the death of Malcolm, but she said that Farrakhan helped to create the atmosphere. And that I can agree with. And in defending the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, charge and countercharge, we created an atmosphere. But don't leave out the United States government. Don't leave out the FBI, who had worked for years to separate Malcolm from the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Now, the last part of your question, yes. do I approve? At that stage of my development, I was very angry with Malcolm for what Malcolm had done. I was hurt by his assassination. I can't say that I approved, and I really didn't disapprove. I was numb. But today, looking back, Malcolm would be so much more valuable to us alive. Eventually, Jesse Jackson was forced to disavow Farrakhan for the sake of his presidential campaign. Farrakhan's love within the black community would remain, though, as in 1995, he organized the Million Man March. On October 16, 1995, some estimates say as high as 2 million African-American men converged on the National Mall in D.C. to rally in one of the largest demonstrations in D.C. history. Farrakhan called for all able-bodied African-American men to come to the nation's capital to address the ills of the black community and call for unity and atonement. Besides the keynote address by Farrakhan, 
Speakers at the march included Benjamin Chaffetz, Jesse Jackson, Rosa Parks, and Dick Gregory. Stevie Wonder entertained with his songs, and Maya Angelou used her poetry to offer advice to the men at the rally. The message of most of the speeches called for black men to bring the spirit of God back into their lives. These marchers were also encouraged to register to vote to build black political power. March participants took a pledge to support their families, refrain from violence and physical or verbal abuse towards women and children, and renounce violence against other men, except in self-defense. They also pledged abstinence from drugs or alcohol and to concentrate their efforts on building black businesses and social and cultural institutions in the communities where they lived. The march participants were then asked to go back home to implement the changes they had pledged. Although most of those changes pledged in Washington on October 16th to revitalize African-American communities weren't prominently in evidence in the years that followed, organizers did claim two successes. In the year after October 16th, over 1.5 million black men registered to vote for the first time. There was also an upsurge in the number of black children adopted by African-American families. I first saw Farrakhan at the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, and I can't speak to how many people were there exactly, but I can say that I had never seen so many happy black people just enjoying each other's company in my whole life. I can't speak to the experience of being at the first one. Of course, I was barely three years old at the time, but the energy at the 20th anniversary is something that will remain with me for the rest of my life. Farrakhan has a knack for speaking the truth that lies in the heart of most black people towards white America. It's a justified bitterness that can only come from centuries of oppression, followed by decades of half-kept promises. Farrakhan, in this clip you're about to hear, speaks to the root of the system of white supremacy, a disdain and an obsession with the constant subjugation of the Earth's original people. We are all, after all, descendants of the first men and women who we know were African. Out of this fear and hatred and envy of the original people, you have destroyed us all over the earth. And you have set up a system, an educational, political, social, economic, and even a religious system that God rejects. Listen to me good now. This is the wind-up. God rejects a political system that doesn't have justice in it. God rejects an economic system where the wealth is in the hands of a few and the masses of the people have to scratch for what rightfully belongs to them. How in the hell can one or two people own the earth? We all come up out of it. They come up out of it. They got to go back down into it. But we got to owe, pay homage to them because they took the earth from us. And then the value that is in the earth and under the earth, they take it out, make us work the mines. And we end up with nothing. And they pass on that that they have stolen to their children. And their children wax fat and then say to us, we didn't do that to you all people. We wasn't around when that happened to your people. You're right, you were not around, it's true, but you are the beneficiaries of what your father stole. Now, when he says a system that God rejects, I want you to realize that Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of this nation, once said, quote, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, 
that his justice cannot sleep forever, that considering numbers, nature, and natural means only, a revolution of the wheel of fortune, an exchange of situation is among possible events, that it may become probable by supernatural interference, end quote. But there remains a misunderstanding of Farrakhan's message by many whites and even some black people. There's this inability to grasp it as a possible reality too long ignored. White America has been desperate since the day blacks arrived on this land to be reassured that black people have no reason to hate them. They, after all, and by they I mean the current white Americans, didn't build any of the systems that currently oppress us. They inherited those systems and are pretty much saying, the liberal whites now I mean, that we as black people have to understand that the dismantling of those systems is going to take some time. And while we wait for those systems to be dismantled, they ask of us, please don't ever get violent or even sound like that's a possibility. Be nice. Be like Martin Luther King. Farrakhan is a man that rejects that premise, that we should be nice as we demand justice. And all people have to be able to understand where he's coming from. African people are the Earth's original people, and the suffering of African people and darker-skinned people all over the world is a direct result of a system of white supremacy that doesn't match up with our, and by our I mean all humans, actual history. So it seems, among most whites, that the liberation of black people may come, but only if we're patient and talk nice until it comes. The Nation of Islam, and Louis Farrakhan specifically, have always played the side of, well, what if we don't? What if we decide that we're going to be 100% truthful to ourselves every time we speak to white America? What if we're honest about the fact that for the vast majority of our relations, we have been catching hell at the hands of white America? On The Donahue Show, Farrakhan spoke to the misunderstanding of black people by white America. There is, there is a woeful lack of understanding, not only in the black community, but really in the white community, of why black people are in the condition that we're in and why all of the efforts that whites have made and government has made to try to solve the problem in the way that government sees fit has not really worked. And blacks are still crying out for more and more and more. And I realize that this is an irritant to white people because you really don't understand. And it's not really your fault. <laughs> it's not really your fault. You just don't understand. But I think if you gave yourself a chance to hear what happened to these black people that makes them as they are as an irritant to you and those who think you have done the best you could. And maybe you have, but I respectfully suggest to you that there's so much more that could be done, that should be done, and that must be done if America is to survive. Believe me. Farrakhan's message is not entirely about the oppression of black people. He also speaks to black people in a way to say that we can also improve our condition, though we are still owed by this government by coming together, pooling our resources, and rebuilding our community. Farrakhan's central message to the black community is that self-improvement is the basis for community development. We must see ourselves and our greatness in each other. Well, if God made a bird to get a worm for itself, to build a nest for itself, God made ants to build a society for themselves. 
from the smallest creatures all the way out to the far planets everything does something for itself then what kind of man have you been made into that you are now begging at the foot of white people begging them to do for you what you could unite and do for yourself But Farrakhan is not a household name. As they say, if anything, more people probably know him as a symbol of hate than of good, even though he has done so much good for the black community. Farrakhan is not always complimentary of our community. He constantly speaks against our constant use of the N-word, as he did in an interview with CNN's Don Lemon. Word. We're taking the word back and we're using it the way we want it. We're going to make it a term of endearment. And you're so stupid to take a word that means your degradation and try to claim that you're using it for some uplifting purpose? If you used it for an uplifting purpose, why is the murder rate so high in the black community? Why are the funeral parlors filled with black men who call each other in? No, 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 no. You, if you change the language, you change the pattern of a man's thought. So if I I call you brother, I soon will want to recognize your flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, bone of my bone. So if I hurt my brother, I'm hurting myself. But if you're in a gang, you don't see the other gang member as your brother. He didn't, he's not wearing the right color, not showing the right signs, so kill him. What if we demand what we're owed, and given the trauma experienced here and the delay on writing this wrong, we decide amongst ourselves and for ourselves the nature of the black-white relationship. As a people, we're owed this autonomy. And if white America wants to, in good faith, have, and this is their favorite phrase since the events of last summer, difficult conversations, then they need to be able to hear and understand a man like Louis Farrakhan and understand the context that created him. His message can't and shouldn't be brushed away because white America has decided to label him an anti-Semite and a racist. Louis Farrakhan is one of our current day elders that's to be respected and heard, especially as we're much closer to the end of his life than we are from the start. What I believe America hates most about Farrakhan is he forces the nation to come face to face with its historical subjugation of darker skinned people every single time he speaks. To avoid facing this reality, the media instead tells you that Farrakhan is an anti-Semite and a man consumed with hate. Don't listen to him. What I then challenge is that, well, if that's why we shouldn't listen to Farrakhan, then we have to do a top to bottom restructuring of American history, society, and culture. But America doesn't want to do that either. Rather, America continues to ignore that it's built on the oppression of darker skinned people, and even the most liberal of whites only want to go so far. Reform is a word that's used, not the absolute abolition of a prison system that has more black people in its clutches today than were in slavery in the mid-1800s. It never means direct reparations paid to all descendants of American slaves. Somehow, that becomes something that's too complicated to get into. To that I say, the transatlantic slave trade seemed like a complicated system. Maintaining and enforcing Jim Crow laws and voter suppression systems, those seem complicated. The overthrow of foreign governments that are against U.S. interests seems complicated. But America figures it out. Why? Because our nation and its leaders decided those endeavors were in America's best interests. What I say, and I believe, the current central message that Farrakhan is trying to convey is that atonement is ultimately in the best interests of the United States. Because as we saw last summer, this generation of black people have had enough. Earlier this season, I made an episode about reparations, and now I want to play for you Farrakhan's take on reparations.
from an ABC News interview he did in 1990. You have said a few years ago that you wanted a place within America for black people, but your most recent statement is that you think black people ought to receive reparations and perhaps go to Africa to a place there. I have two questions. How much reparations from the U.S. government? Who should pay for them? And what place in Africa? If we want to solve the problem, Mr. Donaldson, we must recognize that there are millions of black people today who are suffering in America, and no one has come up with a solution to this problem. And yet, black people who have built this country, whose fathers sweat and blood uh, built the economy of the early America, and we who have fought, bled, and died in every theater of war that America has had, we helped America to rebuild Germany after World War II. Germany's rebuilt. Japan is rebuilt. Blacks are still in a terrible condition. Well, I can see that, Minister Farrakhan, that you have helped build America, but so have Irish people who came here, Italians, many, many people from many lands. Yes. You seem to say that blacks ought to receive money from the U.S. government. Reparations. If How the, much? If the American government sees that it, there's justice in giving to the Japanese reparations, for four years in the concentration camps and the confiscation of their goods and property. What about black people who were brought to America, not on the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, or the Mayflower, but in the holds of ships, whose fathers worked for 300 years you, for no pay? But what I'm asking you is how much? Tell us how much. Well, I can't say in terms of dollars at this point how much, but if the government is willing to sit down and take account of what is old black people. Why should we live in substandard housing? Why should we be why on welfare? Anyone? Yes, but why should we, who helped build the country, live in that condition? We're not asking for welfare. Give to black people what you owe us and let us make but a future for ourselves. Farrakhan and his energy, when he speaks, assures white people who fear black power that black people really are angry, and this anger may turn into violence if a man like Farrakhan is heard. I believe that's a very small-minded way to look at the bitterness that exists in black communities. The anger in Farrakhan's voice doesn't come from the last 10 years, the last 50 years, or even the 87 years of his life. That anger comes from 400 years of subjugation, and it doesn't only exist in the heart of Farrakhan. It is real and exists, to some extent, in the hearts of all black people in America. Until white America can honestly understand that, then we can't heal as a nation. Today, Farrakhan has been banned from Facebook, Instagram, and is also completely blackballed by the mainstream media. Those who profess an admiration for him are forced to condemn him just as Jesse Jackson did. Since then, Barack Obama has been added to the list of people who are forced to disavow the minister. His recent banning from the social platforms came at the same time as men like Alex Jones and Milo Yiannopoulos. Farrakhan is lumped into groups of men such as those to further push the narrative that he's just a man consumed with hate. Since the 90s, Farrakhan hasn't appeared much on national television. There's a belief that the major networks have decided to blackball him as retaliation for his perceived anti-Semitism. But now Farrakhan is 87 years old and has announced that he will not do much public speaking as he retires from full leadership of the NOI. His legacy, though, is furthered by his student ministers who are still on the social media platforms, these men are amazing. I'm talking about Brother Ben X, Riza Islam, R-I-Z-Z-A Islam, and Nori Muhammad. Nori Muhammad in particular, he went on The Breakfast Club a little over a year ago, and he spoke on the difference between black unity and black uniformity as taught to him by his teacher, 
the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And the other side of it too, one of the big hindrance, uh, Brother DJ Envy, for, for our unity is that we have a misunderstood word. We say we want to unite, but in our mind, we're not thinking unity, we're thinking uniformity. And there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Mm -hmm. See, uniformity means everybody does the same thing in the same way and looks the same while they're doing it. But unity means you do different things at different places, but for one common cause. Mm. We will never have uniformity. Breaking news, everybody's not going to be a member of your church. Everybody's not going to be a part of your denomination. Everybody's not going to join your fraternity. Some people going to do different things in a different way. That's not, that's uniform. We need unity. That's right. Which means we do different things in a different place at a different time. And that's the way that God made the body. There's a verse in the Quran that says, surely there's a message in creation for those who believe. Look how he created us in the best of modes. Inside the body, this is not a, a sign of uniformity. It's a unity. You got different organs that look different, do different things at a different place at a different time but for the survival of this one organism. Well, what would happen if our organizations work like that? Organizations. Mm. Mm. Everybody did your, so you be NAACP, be the liver if that's your job. Urban League, be, be the kidney if that's your job. Be the heart, be the, be the, whatever you are, play your role and let us do what we can do in unity for the survival of us as a people. Brother Nori Muhammad also spoke to the black economic situation in America. See, the, the, the Honorable Minister Louis Falcon said like his, he said, business is the activity of life. This is the responsibility of any people. Billy Holiday said like this, that mama may have and papa may have, but God bless a child that, that has know. its own. You translate that into spiritual politics or economics. See, the Jews might have, Chinese people might have, Caucas but God bless a people that have, have their own. Right now, do you know we brought in $1.3 trillion last year as a people? Mm. Out of 226 nations on the earth, that makes black people in America the eighth richest nation. We brought in $600 billion more than, than Spain, $700 billion more than Mexico. Yes, Spain has 46 million people like we do, and they maintain a 208,000 square mile landmass, and they have their own everything. Mexico has 131,700,000 people, and they're maintaining 771,500 square miles with half the money we have. Yet they have whole countries, and we don't have nothing we can call our own. Something happened to us. We, we got to get back into what, what they call today uh, 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 financial literacy. But we got to do it quick because we got to start doing something uh, for ourselves. We got the dollars. We just need some more sense to go with them dollars. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. We, got, we need some more sense because right now we the leaders in unnecessary spending. We always buying stuff we don't need with money that we don't have from people that we don't like to impress people that we don't even know. Mm. And the Negro, the black mind right now has been hardwired where happiness is connected to spending when it needs to be hardwired to investing and in to saving. And if we can renegotiate the contract in the black, black psyche for happiness to spending, to investing and saving, I think we'll be able to build a bright future for our people. If America truly wants to do away with Farrakhan and those like him, then prove him wrong. For once, do good by black people and not the incremental way America has become used to helping the black community. Repay the black community for the suffering the community has gone through that America's success is built on. From slavery to Jim Crow, 
to our current prison industrial complex, America has placed a target on black skin. It is then irrational for the American media then to expect those black people to condemn a man that speaks to their suffering. A man that tells black people, I love you and I see what's been happening to you. I'm not saying here that Farrakhan is the savior of the black community, but he is a leader made by the black community for the black community and for another community as oppressive as specifically the American media has been to black people. You have some nerve telling us who we can and cannot follow. The American media and America herself is in no moral position to tell black people who we can and can't follow. And I'm not here to tell you to follow Farrakhan. I myself am not a member of the NOI or a Muslim. But what I am saying is decide for yourself. Listen to the man. Understand the man because he understands you. Then make the decision for yourself. The gap between who we are and who we would like to be, and by we here, I mean we as people living in America, is made even harder to overcome by our inability to properly understand who we are today. We often huddle to comforting lies rather than accept inconvenient truths. I'll leave you with this. Farcon loves black people, and it is dangerous to allow a system and media, especially one that has proven itself to be so anti-black, to pick your heroes. You can go to Bonos.com for the full versions of all the audio clips used in this episode. That's B-A-U-K-N-O-W-S.com. And as as the case with all episodes of The Soapbox, I'm welcoming opinions, questions, concerns, whatever. Just email them. You can uh, make the voice memo on your phone and email them to thesoapboxpod at gmail.com. That's thesoapboxpod at gmail.com. No time limit, you know, whatever whatever you want to do. The Soapbox merch can also be found at bonos.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Bonos, uh, B-A-U-K-N-O-W-S, and on Twitter at Baudelaire, B-A-U-D-E-L-A-I-R-E. My name is Baudelaire, and thank you for listening to The Soapbox. Um, I would just like to say that I am terrified that even you, someone who's obviously educated, has given up hope completely. Like, when, when you call upon us, you say white folk, you say black people, Jewish people. Why can't we come together? We obviously can come together. We just have to, we just have to find a way to do it. The desire is good, but the reality is the total opposite of your desire and unfortunately as a young lady you are not in the position of power to make the decisions to make America work may I you know as as an audience of intelligent people I would like to just take a moment to say to you that I really don't think you fully understand what has happened to these people that you look at as second-class or inferior citizens in this nation. Black people who were brought to this country were stripped of their names, language, culture, religion, God, and taken 
totally away from the history of themselves. Here are 30 million people who don't wear their own names. They wear your names. Who don't speak their own language. They speak English, which is not their language. They never, never were allowed their own cultural expression of Africa. Don't you realize that when you turn a people upside down and inside out, then sell them, not for a day, not for a year, but for 300 years and deny us the human right to know, to read a book, to learn, to understand. And then after 100, uh, 300 years of that, you allow us into the church, but by that time, you've painted Jesus white, God white, the angels white, and then all these black people have been subjected to a form of white supremacy which produces in the reverse a black inferiority. And this is fulfilling what Jesus said, as a man thinketh, so is he, and as long as our people think the way they think, we will never be able to do what we as a people should do to correct our condition. Over here, please. Right. 